0: In today's show, you'll hear from Bob Hoy of chartsandmarkets.com and pivotaladvice.com is his other website. He's a market commentator. He's actually a formally trained geologist as well as a mining stock speculator. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting with Bob for about two hours over a lunch last uh, January when I was in Vancouver for the VRIC conference. So I really appreciated getting to know Bob and uh, do look highly uh, regarding his insights of what's going on. So he's on the show today to talk to us about 2021. So Bob, welcome to the show. Yeah.
1: Hi, Bill. It's good to see you again. And I've been looking forward to getting together with you today. Uh, The financial markets are absolutely wild. But you know that I've, other than being a geophysicist, I've spent a lot of time in the financial markets and actually have become a financial historian. And while extremes are wild and great to be in, they're not new. Great financial markets have happened before, and they will continue to happen. And the way uh, I'm looking at it now is that obviously, the financial speculation is wild. And we have our chart work side, which does the charts, and so it's measurable. So we're going to back up to October when that's the period where if something financially is going to go wrong, it will go wrong. But it didn't. So we said, OK now. It's oversold, and the stock market's going to rally. And uh, the next natural high would be in December or January. And the reason why we focused on that is that uh, there have been some fabulous speculations conclude in the December-January window. The, oh, wow, well, hey, gold and silver, December 20, January 21st, 1980. The, and the party, the, the japan tokyo Nikkei party was sort of unique because the rest of the world wasn't bubbling the same way. That ended on the last trading day of December in 1989. The earliest one I could find was in December 19, 1893 with the uh, New York stock market setting a high in December. Of course, you couldn't get the date within that. Yeah, I could take another run at it and find it. But so uh, there is a long, oh, I know a really good one. Uh, January the eleventh, nineteen seventy-three, followed by the worst bear market since the nineteen thirties. That was a that was quite serious. That one. So, the um, the way this works, Bill, is that if the markets had not become speculative in December, January, it would have been a methodical uptrend. But the speculation has become measurably extreme, and so we're looking for. A break in momentum and then uh, taking out certain level that seems to be working on now. And within the work we do on the stock market, we also do the work on, on uh, base metals. And they would likely be rallying. And they have. Uh, the industrial uh, commodities also include, of course, uh, copper and, uh, and crude oil, the energy prices. So they have rallied. but copper. Uh, two weeks ago, gave uh, one of our upside exhaustions in a sequential sell. The CRB index covering all the things is also giving sell signals. And then going the other way, the dollar index, the DX, seems to be trying t- to build a base, and it became measurably oversold. So, as, as you and I both know, that when you're in a speculative fury in metal prices or stocks or bonds, the dollar is generally heading south. And then whoosh, goes the other way. So we're in a bit of a distinctive position here in looking for a, a speculative high in the stock market, which is what we're getting, a speculative high in industrial commodities, which is what we're getting. Uh, the um, action in, credit sp- in the credit markets is also very important. And In, in the uh, yield curve, which is the difference between long rates and short rate, the uh, curve started to change in early December, giving what we called an alert. And then the action in the curve is continued trend, which is steepening to the point now where this week, we figured, hey, that looks like a warning. And also the yield curve, when it turns to steepening, it helps the uh, spreads in lending agencies such as banks. So it gives them a little pop, but generally the turn to steepening that indicates a contraction. On the credit spreads, which is the difference between high grade and low grade bonds, Hey, it's still on trend, never, never land, you know, not a dynamic party, but then it doesn't really end with, you know, sensational action. that can just kind of quietly roll over. So there's a number of, the first thing to do is to say that in the case of the markets and say, one, is the market up when it should be? Yes. Two, are there signs of speculation? Yes. And what about the underlying fundamentals? Good grief. America is suffering a constitutional crisis that is absolutely without precedent. So you just can't consider fundamentals. But uh, so the other point of when you're in a great financial bubble, the last huge classic one was 1929. The one before that was 1873, and then you go all the way back to the South Sea Bubble in 1720. Is that once the action in financial side is over, whew, the economy comes down with it. So this is where the last year. I've been calling it the weird economy, because you had an arbitrary move by governments to force the biggest employment hit in history, poked up on (laughs) influenza concerns. So you had that disaster. It also technically did make a recession. And then you had a V bottom in financial markets. It may have been there in the economy, but you've got the bizarre unemployment figures, but you've got boom things going on in, in residential housing where people are leaving the uh, deteriorating downtown cores of cities and heading out. So that involves buying a place where bids weren't too intense hitherto. It involves renovation, the whole thing. So you had lumber, you had copper and all this sort of stuff. But what if, what if we are in a great financial bubble that is ending, in which case whew, the economy goes down right away?
0: Where do you put this in historical perspective? Because you are a financial historian, 2021 in historical perspective, where would you, what, what's the closest
1: analog? 1929. Ouch. Except, now here's, even, even, here's one that is, is amazing. Now, there was a monstrous commodity, global commodity boom that blew out in 1920, crashed. Then out of that became uh, the uh, financial market, which ended in a great speculation. Now. From the month of the commodity high in nineteen twenty to the month that the stock market peaked, which was September twenty nine, nine years and seven months. Now the last high in commodities was twenty eleven, gold and silver to the moon, and that peaked came down. So you had the hard hit, and then out of it came another phase of speculation in financial assets. And the to January possible peak nine years three months, and prior to that. Yeah, prior to that, you had commodity boom in 1864, the stock bubble, 1873, and then going all the way back the first one with the South Sea bubble, 1720, the huge inflation and commodity boom was 1711. So it was the same pattern. Commodity boom, crash, financial boom, crash, uh, deflation. So I don't have the imagination to conclude that because you're uh, having a Democrat administration and Congress, and we all know they're gonna put an inflationist at the central bank, and they're just gonna go wild in spending money and issuing credit to be honest. Uh, that may not hook up. The Fed needs speculators in order to get its portion of credit out. And we know that in 1929, the Fed was balls to the wall with lowering interest rates and putting credit out. It's not widely known that the uh, head of the New York Fed in the crash in 1929, was buying bonds out of the market, injecting liquidity in, and he exceeded his authority by a factor of six times. And then in July of 1932, which was then the worst of the first part of that bear market, Barron's, you know, the highly esteemed uh, publication, had an editorial that effectively said that every anti-deflationary measure taken by the Federal Reserve System is seen not to work. And the anti-deflationary measure was buying bonds out of the market. So they had been buying bonds out of the market from 1929 to 1932. And as Barron's editorialized, it didn't work
0: arcana silver is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production the revenue Virginia's mine in colorado has proven and probable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver with all in sustaining production costs of only eight dollars per ounce of silver the mine is fully funded and permitted with infrastructure already in place and has announced production will commence in 2021 achieving successful production should result in a significant upward share price re-rating on the Lasonde curve arcana trades under the ticker au In Toronto, in AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A U R C A N A.com. But gold miners performed well during that period, so.
1: Oh, you know your your history, Bill. Uh, So the other thing I did in 1980 was to take, in the senior currency terms, gold's price and deflated it by the CPI. Because you had over 100 years when England was on gold standard. So there was no change in the price of gold. But there was a change in the purchasing power of gold. And the pattern is very reliable and very clear. The real price of gold goes down in a financial boom, like 1720 or 1929. And then that's due to uh, energy costs, cost of equipment, cost of labor in mining, because you've got a, a big, big bull market going on in base metals. So... The cost of mining gold go up relative to the bullion price. Profitability of miners goes down. And that was the case in 1929 when Homestake, the premier producer, uh, their earnings declined. The stock was not a good performer in the bubble. It went out. And then in the crash, it got hit. So then if you go ahead to end of 1932, and it wasn't until March 1933 when Roosevelt started fooling around with the price. So gold's price was $20.67 an ounce. And so... Homestake reported a loss in 1929. End of 32, their earnings were up something like 130%. And gold's price was $20.67 an ounce. It didn't change. And the stock was up equivalent. So end of 32, Homestake and all the other gold stocks were up. But the S&P was suffering. So this, on this bubble, the real price of gold peaked in 2011 with that boom. And then it came down. And gold stocks were a disaster and definitely underperformed the S and P. And then gold real price essentially bottomed and based in 2018, and that's when we had our buy on the sector, calling for a multi-year bull market because the real price would go up, enhancing profitability of the gold miners. And the um, the other thing we noticed said that more than likely gold stocks would outperform the S and P. So to last August. And it was in July when we got all kinds of technical overboughts on the gold sector and advised people, both traders and investors, to take some money off the table. So that was peaking. But from 2018 to last summer, the GDXJ almost doubled the S&P rise. Outperformed? Sure, it was great. So we're in a corrective period for the gold mining stocks. And unfortunately, they will be vulnerable if the big market heads south. But that is what will be setting up the next advance in the gold's real price and profitability. So on the next leg up in a lengthy bull market for gold, uh, it would be the same thing. I think that the gold sector will outperform the S and P, which then you get it ultimately into the case where more and more institutions are going to have to get into gold stocks because they want to be in an outperforming sector.
0: So, Bob, how would you play that for twenty twenty one? Are you you know? Well, we're
1: in- watching for. i would be watching for a sell off. With a possible sell-off in the big market, but we have our technical tools that would, you know, h- help us, you know, find the point where one would begin to accumulate gold stocks, and then we would also, from seniors to mid-sized producers to junior exploration stocks, uh, depending on your your inclinations. Uh, myself, having been in mining exploration, I really like the exploration sector, and when you get onto a good one. Boy, it can be fabulous. So, uh, we would have uh, one should, going into a next low in the sector, identify the stocks you want to buy, and particularly have a list of, say, five junior speculative ones. And if you got one in there that turns out it's, it's really great, chances are you're going to get a rise anyways. But with an exploration stock on a discovery, you can have an extraordinary rise.
0: So, Bob, do you- do you see a greater opportunity this year in 2021 than speculators in junior mining stocks had in March of last year?
1: Oh yeah. That I was in some of them and like uh Teuton here. 80 cents to four and a quarter in just a few months. But that was even before the drilling started. And it was Eric Sprott and others. But I at the time, and I know one of the key guys at Teuton, and we were talking about it. He knows our research. And uh, I said, this is this isn't Teuton. This is a market phenomenon, which it was. And, th- and they've been drilling, they've been getting results, but the stock isn't isn't responding to drill results. So in more of a classic bull market for gold and for gold stocks, I would say you can have a discovery of a by junior that would start and move. And then I think you could have a, a bull market on an exploration play, maybe lasting for 10, 12 months, which would be fabulous. And then also, uh, like one of the guys here at Haywood um, who are uh, you know, good, a good investment mining house is saying that really what, what the street needs is a major global discovery. And they will be out there. Uh, geologists are always looking for them. And then sometimes you find one. And decades and decades ago, Placer, the big gold, uh, company, they were outstanding in doing grassroots exploration. Absol- uh, like they came up with a huge gold deposit. Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. But then it was like 40 years ago. But then what you've had since then is more and more highly qualified geologists, geological engineers, those kind of guys have got into the public company side, the juniors. And with geological talent and management ability and financial advice, the real big grassroots exploration going on is being done by what we used to call juniors. Which they always did anyways. I I would also add that it was sad to see when Placer went, but they were not only good at doing grass, you know, their own huge exploration programs, but they were unbelievably good at doing a deal with a junior who had something coming along promising. And there's, I I don't know of anybody out there now like that, but with the market so uh, understanding of exploration now and the so many brokerage firms and financial people understanding it as well, you get the right kind of discovery. It's going to be a terrific big play within the context of a bull market for the sector. So uh, I think there were some moves earlier last year, like March, April, into uh, July, that were just something like everybody buying them straight up and not related to the exploration play. So it's going to be more based on drill results over a period of time, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Bob, last question before you go, since you are a formally trained geologist and you understand exploration firsthand, when you say a uh, world-class discovery in the gold sector, what does that mean? 15 million ounces at 10 grams, like a gold rush? Or what type of deposit could you give us uh, some of the profile
1: of what you what you mean? <laughs> that that would be, yeah, that's, that's huge. But also, it takes time to drill up that. And also, you get the ironical sense is that on a long drilling play, you keep adding up and then more and more bigger brokers come into the thing, the mining Alice, and they start doing their calculations. And then they say, it's going to be mine or it is a mine. And here's the future cash flows and discounted present value and all that stuff. That usually is the top of the exploration play. And then what happens then typically is that the stock will give up from, well, it'll fall to one third or a quarter of the exploration high. It's just the way it works, because you then, for a successful mine, you have to go through the development phase, and then you have to go through constructing the mine, and then you have to go through the startup, and some guys are going to wait for two quarters of uh, startup to see how the results are going. So, um, no, uh, the exploration side is where you get the big bang, and the moment everybody says it's a mine, exploration guys get out. It's the way it works. This is what, uh, do you remember, uh, Brex, back in 1996, which turned out to be a fake, in May and June of that year, the stock was flying, and that's in ours. I just wrote, hey, the street's saying it's a huge mine. Therefore, the exploration story is over, and it's going to go down. I didn't know it was a fraud at that time. Nobody did. Some did. So that was a classic. And then also with that, Bill, you had all the nearby. You know, When you get a discovery going, other promoters come in and get ground nearby, and then they start promoting their stock. So that is what we're looking for, is a really classic uh, market for juniors, with some discoveries and hopefully sometime a major, major discovery. And uh, it, it, it makes money like you wouldn't believe.
0: Yes, thank you, Bob. And I hope uh, myself and my listeners can participate in some of the wealth that will be created if it plays out that way, which I hope it does. Uh, your website again is pivotaladvice.com and chartsandmarkets.com, is that correct?
1: Or, or even Bob Hoy, B-O-B-H-O-Y-E.com. So any, any way you can get in, so.
0: Thanks for coming on today's show, Bob.
1: Good, thanks Bill
0: the mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000 and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances